Hi, welcome to episode 10. That's right, the Casual Try Hard Podcast. We made it to 10. 10 episodes. That's right, and we do practical effects. Crazy, that was an actual air horn. That's right, it says for outdoor use only, we are rebels. Yeah. I'm Uh, Brian the Rebel. I am James the Rebel, I guess. I guess I guess we can be like I guess we were a great deck back in like two thousand four. Rebels, yeah. Yeah, we were a great deck like back in the day. So welcome to episode ten. Yep. Here uh, we are. we uh again encourage you to to reach out to us at uh Casual Tryhard MTG on Facebook. Yep, uh Casual Tripod on Twitter. And you can email us at uh casual tryhard mtg at gmail.com. Yep. If you were following the Twitter and uh, the Facebook, you know I was on my deathbed for a few days. Yeah, you look much better now, yes, though, so. Yes, I would not have made a good podcast uh, provider, yeah. uh, sniffling and coughing the whole time. So this is much better. Thanks for bearing with us. So we're going we're gonna to brag on ourselves a little bit, and then we're going to finish up the, the Marathon Finance podcast. Yeah, there is so much to talk about in finance. There's we went so much more. Super long last week. Let's hope we don't go super long this week. So, so our bragging will start with the uh, the casual tryhard sweep of the uh, the store uh, standard league. Standard league. Yeah. Uh, so the league was six weeks. You played four rounds a week, and whoever got the most points at the end uh, won a bunch of stuff. Yep. And the person with the most points was uh, James. And the person with the second most points was Brian. Yeah, we we did it. Yeah. Uh, I, looks good for the podcast. It does. Let's see we know what we're doing. <laughs> uh, now, you know, we are we are part of a bigger conglomerate yes. of uh, Dead AF. And yeah. Dead AF uh, came in uh, third and fourth, I do believe. Yes. Or was it a, a it, super tie for third and fourth? tie for third and fourth. Yeah. So uh, Cameron and uh, uh, Infect Master Cameron, you, yep. you already know him. Yep, that is correct. And uh, the Azare. The Azare, yeah. uh, also known as uh, the Bowman, <laughs> yeah. uh, who is not made on the podcast yet. We'll 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 talk about some blue white dirtly control deck or I'm some sure combo he'll deck get in here at some point. Uh, he's got to pump up the brand. Yep. Uh, Twitch.tv slash <laughs> Azare. Um, they were they were third and they were basically tied for third. Yep. Uh, with uh, with Spencer. Yep. So yeah, we congratulations we, to those guys too. Yeah, we yep. we kind of know what we're talking about at least on a local level. Yeah. We are regionally powerful. <laughs> Woo! We want to finish up finance, and uh, so we're going to talk about some more things to or ways to buy and get in on things. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to, uh, someone pointed out, we never told you guys what to do with your cards. Yeah, there's there are things to do yeah, with Yeah, like cards. burying them in your backyard usually does not sprout money. Uh, not so. usually. We want to we wanna kind of give you some, some actionable things to do with your cards once you have your... Yep. Your big pile of things that have all gone up in value because you're very smart. Hopefully. That's the plan, at least. Our first thing here is foils with two exclamation points. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of money that can be made on foils, and a lot of people tend to stay away from them. Um, a lot of foils are garbage, but not all of them. Um, the ones that are particularly valuable... Um, a lot of times you'll see it listed on a price website as a high foil multiplier, um, are mainly ones that see play in like non-rotating formats. So ones that have decks that stick along for a long time. So EDH, Legacy, Modern, um, for some reason, EDH foils are almost always more expensive than even like 
competitive foils. Yeah, well, EDH, like, you need one of the card. Yeah. And, like, I think people are more willing to shell out the, the money for the one foil. Yeah. And there's enough EDH players getting that one foil mm-hmm. that it's, like, it yeah. ends up being a lot of people getting that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of card. them are, like, EDH staples, too, like, stuff that goes into a whole bunch of different decks. Yeah. Um, like, uh, off the top of my head, like, doubling season. It yeah. is, like, a EDH staple goes in 100 different decks. Those foils are insanely expensive. Yeah. I mean, you can see the difference in, like, modern playability of cards. So if you look at a foil lava coil is, like, 4 or $5. Right. It's an uncommon from uh, guilds. Mm-hmm. A foil, uh, make sure you get a creeping chill, mm-hmm. is an uncommon from guilds that is, like, $10, maybe right. 8 And sees it, no standard play. Sees none at all. And so those cards that people feel like they're going to be around for a long time, Mm -hmm. and people are more apt to foil out their modern decks a lot of times because they know it's gonna this going to be the deck they're going to play for yeah years and years. Even if that's not the exact deck they're going to play for years and years and years, a lot of times if a card is powerful enough to see play in one deck in modern, it's going to see play in more than one deck in modern. So I, I'm guilty of owning some uh, creeping chills uh, that are foil. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> uh, conditions are really important because like yeah. foil cards are a way for someone to show off. Uh, not only that, but they're fragile. Um, the On a normal card, if there's a problem with the surface finish, unless you're specifically looking for something wrong with the surp- surface finish of the card, you're not going to see it. But on a foil, if there's, you know, scratches from somebody playing without sleeves or if somebody's been handling the card a lot, um, it'll actually, like, dull the foil. You can see it a lot more on a foil than a normal card. Um, So you want to be careful of that, too. A lot of the older foils also were prone to clouding. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, if they weren't stored in a sleeve, they were just stuck in a long box or whatever. Um, They'll kind of get cloudy. Okay. Okay. so just be careful when you're looking at foils that uh, you really look them over well in good light to make sure that even if the card, you know, the edges look good, the back's not damaged, there's no creases or anything, that you make sure the surface finish on the card is good because it'll really show up. Now, I know a lot of people get scared off by curling. Curling you can fix really right. easy. Yeah. So curling's caused because the the foil uh, finish is is like a plastic that can't expand, but the cardboard can expand when it gets when it uh, absorbs moisture from the air from like humidity. Yeah. So I have uh, a, a lot. My high value foils are in, in a safe. Then I have a, a container of like desiccant. Yeah. Like you can just buy it like the dollar store. Yeah. Uh, the little packets that come in your shoes that say "Do not eat." Yes, but I have like bigger ones. Uh, and you can actually uncurl your foils. Mm-hmm. I had uh, a big tub of desiccant, and I just stored all my foils in this big, like, uh, plastic tub that's, that's sealed and was airtight. And all my foils were perfectly flat. Mm-hmm. Because you suck all the water out of them, and they flatten back out. Yeah. Um, I haven't really cared enough about my foils to try and decurl them, um, mainly because I don't see it as an issue. Mm-hmm. Um if every foil card on the planet is curled, then it doesn't matter if yours is or not. Yeah, it's it's hard, like, when I was playing Turbo Depths, yeah. and, like, I don't have, I, you don't have uh, foil bayous. Yeah. So you've got, like, 
57 curled cards and three, three flat bayous. Yeah. Right. So I was always more worried about it. I was like, yeah, marked. like if you're double sleeved or whatever, yeah. it's like almost impossible yeah. to tell. But if you look at a card that's curled and you're like, uh, like $3 worth of, yeah. of like desiccant that you'll keep for a long time yeah. will flatten them out if you put them in a sealed container. There's also some free solutions to this too. Um, not that there's really many of them around anymore in this day and age, but foam books used to work pretty well for uncurling foils. Mm-hmm. Um, the paper will kind of suck some of the, the paper in the phone book is dry enough. will suck some yeah. of the moisture out of the card. Plus they're heavy. And they, yeah, they push the it. Yeah. Um, I've heard of people like overfilling long boxes. Yeah. And sm- to and actually them. press them flat again. Um, so there's things you can do that don't yeah. require buying desiccant. Yeah, but, but some, desiccant is the way to go. Yeah, but some people, like I said, like might shy away from a, a curled foil or might be willing to sell it for a little bit less because mm-hmm. they don't know how to uncurl it. Yep. And if you know how to uncurl it, that might get you a couple bucks. Yep. Somewhere. Yep. Um, so. The uh, the other thing to note about foils is if you're paying really close attention to the marketplace. Um, you can sometimes score some pretty good deals when a new deck becomes popular or a content creator comes out with a video featuring a certain card or a new set comes out and births a new archetype. A lot of times the competitive players, a lot of the very competitive players don't care about foils. Um, it's kind of the your average tryhard scrubs that kind of care about foils. They sometimes actively the the pros will actively right. avoid foils because yeah. they don't want to, the risk of having a marked card. Right. Um, because of that, when something is brand new, when an archetype is brand new, when a card's brand new, whatever, um, all of the non-foil copies will get bought out first and drive the price up, and the foils the foil price can lag a little bit. Um, even like I've seen it as much as a week where the non-foil price of a card, I forget what card it was. It was like two or three standards ago. The non-foil price of a card went up to $22 and the foil price, you could still get foils for 17 for almost a week. Mm -hmm. The foil version was actually cheaper for almost a week until it caught up. Yeah. And like, again, those are times because those foils will catch up and will go well past. Absolutely. What that what their uh, what their non foil compo- uh, compatriots are. Yep. So there's some foil stuff. Mm-hmm. We're gonna talk about some sealed product, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of hard to do spec wise. Uh, yes and no. Um, it takes a lot more knowledge and it takes a lot more patience. I think to spec on sealed product. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's any harder to do. It's just a little bit different skill set, maybe. Yeah. So. Don't buy packs to hope it one to like try to spike a card, right? Or two, because you think you're gonna like oh spike a card then be able to like sell it. Yeah, I've been in shops where I've had people who are like like they have old packs and they're mm-hmm. like oh, you open this scars pack and scars, mm-hmm. uh, mox opals in yeah, there an opal. and I'm like or I could just. Not spend $35, like $30 on this pack of yeah. scars and go buy an opal. Yeah. Because, like, I could also open some, like, five cent trash rare. Right. 
right? Which like, is more often than not the case, especially in older. The older a set gets, the more garbage there is in it. Yeah. Um, for the most part. For the most part. So, you know, don't don't crack packs because you think you're going to like. Yeah, I mean, cracking packs is fun. Everybody wants is. to crack packs. Um, if you're going to crack packs, that's fine. Just, like, keep that separate from what you're trying to spec on. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to get your fourth history of Benalia, the chance of you, chances of you opening it in a Dominaria pack are slim to none. Yeah. A, a specific mythic in a pack are slim to none. Um, just by the card. Yeah, um, like, the it's, what is it? Twelve dollars. Yeah. Right. So, if you buy three packs, you spent twelve dollars. Right. And you're more than likely not gonna open a history. Uh, you're more than likely not even gonna open a mythic. Yeah. So it's not even it's not even really worth yeah worth it to to do, like just spend the twelve dollars on the card mm-hmm. you want. No, I'm not saying don't buy packs. No. I mean, there's things to do with packs. Cracking packs is fun, um, but. Like the reason for packs to exist still is pretty much limited, like to draft with them. So yeah. if you're gonna crack packs, at least do yourself the favor, have some fun with them, draft them, draft a little bit. I buy games. two boxes of every standard set, and I sit with my wife yep. and open packs because she likes to open packs. Yep. And like packs to, is fun. And likes to like see if she can open more mythics in her box than I do. <laughs> and she's like, is this card good? And like she wants, she always wants to open the most expensive card in the set. She she wants to open it. She doesn't want me to open it. Right, she wants yeah. her box to have had it. Yeah. But this is this is something that we do, and it's a way for me to include my wife in yeah. the whole magic nerddom. Yeah. Uh, Which is tough, man. I've been trying to get my wife in. She is a she is diehard. She is resistant. Yeah. <laughs> like my wife likes opening packs. Like whenever I get a, a standard showdown pack. Yeah. Everyone immediately cracks their pack at the store. Yeah. I always put it in my box and I bring it home and <laughs> let my wife open it. Uh, so she she once opened a triple mythic Ooh. pack and I was like, good job. It was, yeah, that's pretty good. It was Karn, a Johnny, and Scarab God. Wow. I do believe. Was, and I was like, I immediately ordered the Scarab God for like 15 bucks. Yeah. I was like, we did it. Yeah, that's uh, a pack. Yeah. So, but that's that's what I do with them. Mm-hmm. And then draft what I can. Yeah. Uh, now you can like buy packs and products to hold on to, mm-hmm. and like every so often you will see people like put up like, "Oh, hey, I have these boxes for sale." Mm-hmm. Um, I I spec on some sealed product. Um, I am pretty selective with what I spec on because there is. When a new magic set comes out, like I'm not specking on old stuff, I'm specking on new stuff. Mm-hmm. And when a new magic set comes out, they print a lot of it. So, like I'm not sitting on a case of Dominaria. I'm not sitting on a case of M19. Um, I don't think those are speckable. Uh, what I buy is the master sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've got one Eternal Masters box. I've got two Masters 25, or two Iconic Masters boxes, I've got two Masters 25 boxes, and I've got four Ultimate Masters boxes just sitting on a shelf. Ultimate Masters might have been the best kind of of that lot. Uh, so far, yeah. yeah. Um, except that I bought my Eternal Masters when it was at the bottom. Okay. 
So I think I paid a hundred and fifty bucks for that, one hundred forty bucks for that one, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's almost three hundred now. Yeah. Um, Iconic and Masters Twenty Five haven't come like I haven't lost money on them at this point, but I haven't made money on them either. Yeah. Um, they have bounced back to the point where I'm even on them. Uh, but yeah, the Ultimate Masters boxes, I'm well on my way to doubling my money in three months. Yeah, it's, it's real good. I have, as I'm looking over on the shelf over there, uh, I got a phone call from the wife again and was like, she was at Barnes & Noble, yeah, her favorite place on earth, <laughs> and she was like, they have all these, uh, effectively they were the fat packs, uh, cons, and like dragons, yep. Uh, 50% off. Yep. You want me to get them for you? I was like, Yeah, get them all. She came and she brought like six home. Mm-hmm. So I have like almost a full box of cons, yeah, with like which is a, a set that will hold its value because of the fetch lands. Yep, it's uh, I think Alpha Investments uh just said cons hit 200 bucks a box or almost 200 bucks yeah. a box. So like. I don't have the boxes, but I got these. I think she got them for like fifteen or twenty dollars a piece. Yep. So like it was like two dollars a pack. Yeah. And so at some point, like I can probably sell the fat pack for fifty bucks, yep. and then. I did the uh, the exact same thing, except at a later date and time. Um, I went into Barnes and Nobles and found an entire display of fat packs, and I bought all of them. I had two. Two hand baskets full. My nice. wife had two hand baskets full. I ended up with a Battle for Zendikar fat pack, which contains masterpieces yeah. and full art lands. I had two Oath of the Gatewatch fat packs, which contain Flip Jace. No, o- o- Oath, Oath is, of the Gatewatch. Uh, yeah, Oath, oh, sorry. Full art lands and masterpieces. Um, I got four Kaladesh fat packs. Masterpieces. Masterpieces. I have three Aether Revolt fat packs. Masterpieces. masterpieces. I have four Amonkhet fat packs, masterpieces, and I have two uh, Our Devastation fat packs. Yeah, and they were all some like crazy discounted like yeah, red like dot yeah seventeen eighteen dollars yeah it's like okay stupid. this is good yeah and I think I have one I'm super sad to keep reprinting True Nemesis because I have <laughs> one of the Commander decks with True Nemesis that have never been opened yeah. And I have some... Uh, that deck's still worth a bunch of money. Yeah. Even without trading, it's worth a bunch of money. Yeah, There's and, a lot of stuff in there. And I have uh, some sweet, sweet uh, uh, from the vaults. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got a couple of them, too. Yeah. I think... Those have gone away now. Yeah, I think almost all of mine I've opened, though. Yeah, I've not opened any I of think mine. I've only got one that's still sealed. Yeah, I won one. I bought... I won one, and I won another. I won it in a raffle. Then yeah. I won one for a tournament. Yeah. Got one for a gift, and then I forget how I got the other one. Yeah. But that has they have worked out. But yep. it is hard, like it takes it takes a special kind of degenerate to spend two hundred dollars on a box yeah. to hope that they come out ahead yep. when they open the box. Yep. Cause like the value of the box is like based on whatever kind of E V calculation. Well, yes and degree. no. Like it depends. Um when sets tend to get older, um, it's not necessarily all about the EV because people will buy a box of Ice Age for $400. What's the EV of Ice Age? Like 70 bucks. 
Yeah. Boxes of Ice Age are like $400. But, because people want to draft that set. People want to experience that set. Or it's just something where it's, a, it's, a, it's an item that there's not a lot of. Right, yeah, that also. Right? Yeah. But like with the newer sets, there are just so many of them. Yeah. You're, probably, you're not going to get the, the, it's an item there's not a lot of. Right, not anymore. Right, if you're going to do something like this, it's best to wait till the boxes rotate out of standard. Because then you go on like Channel Fireball yeah, or wherever. Yeah, cheap close out. And Yeah, they're like. $70, $80 a box. Yeah. And, you know, like, you can buy a Dragon's Maze box somewhere right now for 60 bucks. Yeah. And lose money on it because it's <laughs> Dragon's Maze. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, maybe stay away from sealed products unless you get, like, a great deal. Yeah. Like, I think you have on here if you can't get stuff at, like, distributor pricing or, like, around that, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um Basically, what I was talking about there was, um, like, mass box openings. Yeah. Where you can average out your wins and your losses and try and come out ahead. Um, if you're just opening one box, you're not going to, you're not even, you're not going to get an entire set. Like, you're going to get a portion of a set. You're not going to get every card. Mm -hmm. Where if you open two cases, you're going to get at least set. one of every card. Probably, you know, a couple sets in there. Um, you can average out all of your wins and losses that way, especially if they do like the masterpieces going forward where, you know, there's 2.3 in a case. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're just buying a box, you're probably not going to get a masterpiece. Yeah. But if you're opening two cases, you're probably going to get five masterpieces. Yeah. And that, and like those high dollar cards are what like kind of salvage you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, for for the scale we're talking, yeah, it's probably not worth. You can't really do that. Yeah, but at some point, you know, it might be like if you build yourself up, you know, the whole red paperclip thing to a yeah. house. You start out with one like one foil lava coil yeah. and work your way up the ladder. <laughs> so about prices. So what what's the important thing about when we talk about pricing here? Well, I mean, just like any collectible, what you have is only going to be worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. Yeah. Um, if I have your blue pen right here and you say, I really want that blue pen, I'm going to give you $10,000 for it. I'm going to say here that you can have your blue pen back for $10,000. Yeah. Nobody else on the planet. This is worth $10,000 to. No. So what you have, you have to have a buyer for. Yes. Um, which can be kind of tricky when you're talking about sealed product and foils because it's a little bit more specialized buyer. But because of that, when you're looking to price your stuff, um, it doesn't really matter what the number is as long as you get a constant trend. So if you use MTG Goldfish for your prices, when you trade, when you buy, when you sell, when you do everything, as long as you use MTG Goldfish, it doesn't matter if their price is usually a little high or usually a little low because you're looking for the trend, right? Yeah. Um, same goes for any of the other sites, whether you use Star City or TCG Player or whatever you use. As long as you're consistent with what you're using, you're gonna you're gonna notice the spikes. You're gonna get a good idea of what you have in your collection. What, what do most people typically use? What do you think the kind of the go to is? Because I know um, what it, I kind of know what it is for trading, but because I I feel that's like that's a pretty good question. Actually, I feel like when you like when you go and you want to trade with someone, yeah. everyone kind of gravitates towards TCG. Well, it used yeah. to be TCG, TCG mid, mid yeah. but now market we're on like price. TCG market price. I think yeah. that's where everyone kind of uh, gravitates towards. Yeah. 
And like, if you can, if you kind of always use that, mm-hmm. right, you'll, you'll be, you'll be as kind of the like standard that most people go to. Yeah. Right. Cause like, I think everyone knows that star city prices are high. Yeah. And like, you know, if you go like, like someone's like, I want to use the, the lowest price I can find on TCG. Right. And it's like, well, just go buy the card for that. Right. Cause I'm not going to trade you my card for that. Yeah. Right. So like, that's usually the, what people use. Yeah. I think, um, MTG goldfish is pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, MTG stocks is pretty popular. Like not so much at, like you're not going to hear me and Brian talking about the MTG stocks price mm-hmm. at F&M or at the game store or whatever. Um, but that's the way, like in the fi- MTG finance community, a lot of people reference the yeah. MTG stocks price. Um, that's a pretty good website too because they do trends and they do forecasting and they have like a weekly yeah. newsletter they send out. Um, so that one's pretty popular. Um, a lot of the big time buyers and sellers um, use eBay because that's where they're going to move their cards anyway. So yeah. that's the price they use. Um, but like I said, I mean, as long as you use the same, as long as you're using the same metric every time, it really doesn't matter where you, where you do it. Yeah. And I think we mentioned this last time, like the, the days of like wandering into a store and then not knowing what they have. Yeah. Those are, those are gone. Like yeah. three, three years ago, that still happened. I wandered into stores and was able to like rummage through common boxes yeah. and pull out $4 commons. Yeah. Uh, and buy them for a quarter a piece. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. So everyone, everyone knows what their stuff's worth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so when someone says their deck's $4,800, mm-hmm. right, it's probably not $4,800 because I don't know if you could take your deck and immediately sell it to someone for $4,800. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's there's usually something that has to come off the top yeah. to sell it. So yeah, what most of these sites are advertising as the price of a card is realistically what you can expect to pay for that card in mint condition at full retail at a game store. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, in TCG's not really that price either because TCG isn't retail at a game store. TCG is a race to the bottom. Cause right. you can always, cause they, they, everyone wants to be on the first page. Right. Yeah. That's, that's where I get all my cards is the first page. <laughs> that's the only place to look is the first page. The first page. Yeah. Though I do go to the second page to find the direct, direct, the direct price because oh, there's yeah. usually there's usually so not so much, much less messing around. But that five cents, yeah, is worth it. Absolutely. Um, uh, another thing that you do or have done mm-hmm. that I have not put the legwork in on is collection tracking. Yeah, it took me forever to do, but man, is it worth it! I can bring up my entire collection on my phone. Anywhere I am, whether I'm at the game store, whether we're traveling at a tournament, whether I'm at work and had an idea, whether I'm indisposed in my office, <laughs> I always know what's like it updates live with prices. Um, I use uh, Echo MTG. Okay. There's like a couple different tiers. I believe the first two tiers are free and they'll do up to like. 4,000 cards or something. I want to say... I went so deep as to inventory my bulk also because I wanted to know what I had. Yeah. Um. So I want to say I have like 60,000 cards. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of data entry. Yeah. Um. It, it took me like three months. Um. But a lot of that was because I wasn't organized either. Mm-hmm. So when I did this, I went through and I organized my entire collection also. 
Um, that way, if I'm looking for something, I can find it quick. Everything's together. Everything's yeah. in one place. Yeah, so so there's Echo MTG, yep. and then you have down here uh, Deckbox. Mm -hmm. I don't have any experience with that one. Mm. Um, so I really can't talk about that one. I'm yeah, not sure. Then, that is a popular yeah, one. Yeah, and then uh, MTG Goldfish has yep. a has a. Yep, they have their own thing. Um, I think it's a little more casual. Yeah. Than Deckbox and Echo. Mm -hmm. um, Echo is geared towards finance, like MTG okay. finance. Um, they do price graphs. They do uh, like trend forecasting. They will. They email you when your they, cards go. They up. email me like three times a week. Um, you can set up a watch list of cards that you're either waiting to dip or waiting to spike so that you know when to move on a card. Um, they'll email me when cards in my collection spike. Um, I mean, you can set up all types of alerts. It's great. TCG player will keep track of all the cards you've bought on TCG. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there is a, like a, my collection feature on TCG that I think you can add stuff to. Mm -hmm. but it does have, like, every card you've ever purchased is in your collection. Okay. Now, if you haven't updated it, yeah. it's got stuff you've gotten rid of, yeah. but it does keep track of everything you've ever bought, mm -hmm. which is kind of handy to have. Yeah. So we're almost done here. So what, what, are we, what are we currently specking on? What are you... Um, mostly Modern Horizons stuff. I do have a couple long-term targets that I'm still acquiring. Oh. Um... One of them being foil Bomat Couriers. Okay. I have been buying foil Bomat Couriers for a year. Are they like 50 cents or something? Uh, they're like four bucks. Okay. The, I think the regular copies are like, like 50, 50 cents, cents, but the foils are like four bucks. Um, that card has a really unique effect that I don't think is easily replicated. Um, I don't think it's super easy to... Um, reprint it in a set it's pretty like on point flavor wise for kaladesh so i think that's probably a good one to spec on and it's a great card i mean i love playing with it when i when it was in standard um it's seen a little bit of legacy play even though i don't think it's in favor right now yeah it was in the the delver decks for a little yeah. bit right um i would not see it surprised to see play in modern at some point so that's one of my long-term specs. So let's you discard your hand. It's got to be good. <laughs> that's the part you like. <laughs> exactly. Um, another one of my long-term specs is uh, Traverse the Ulvenwald. Okay, I remember you buying all of these. Yep, I have a whole bunch of them, and I have a whole bunch of foils. Same reason as Bomat Courier. Mm. I think it's a unique effect that's hard to reprint. Um, it's hard to put that effect on another card and have it be balanced. It's a one-mana tutor. Yeah, it, I think a lot of things that are worth specking on is I always say look for things that have unique effects yep. and look for things that, especially like things that have random keywords yeah. that they can't like, the reason that Through the Breach was so expensive is because it said Arcane, arcane. or yeah. Splice and Arcane on it, and so it was hard to just throw this random Arcane card in a set that didn't, even to reprint it in a set that right. didn't have Arcane as a keyword. Yeah. Word. And delirium is the yeah the the of one and like that is again like if they make a master set they'd have to have a couple cards with delirium and they'd also have to build the rest of the set so that to the enable delirium. delirium wasn't terrible to get so that if they're concerned about the limited environment yeah it limits the kind of the random keywords they can put into things yep I would say miss the boat on mock Amber. 
but uh, with the announcement that War of the Spark was going to have a bajillion Planeswalkers in it, people started buying Mox Ambers because if you have a bunch of Planeswalkers in your deck, it's just a Mox. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I went... Uh, the Another thing that requires you to have Planeswalkers, and I have a stack of uh, Jaya's Emulating Infernos, Karn's Temporal Sundrings, and... Urza's Ruinous Blast, which is nothing's that good, but they were like thirty to fifty cents. Yeah. And if they're, and if they are, if they do see play and they go to like two dollars, mm-hmm. I can triple your money. Triple my money and be happy. Yeah. I also like. There are some cards you can with the Modern Horizon stuff. Yeah. You can take some some bets on things from. Uh, from Legacy that might get reprinted. So. Yeah. A lot of people have containment priest on their uh, on their short list of cards that should get reprinted in yep. modern or accumulated knowledge, mm-hmm. and so I bought some containment priests and accumulated accumulated knowledges, and they're commons and they're yep. whatever they were like thirty cents, mm-hmm. but if they go into modern, everyone's gonna want the old print the right. old art of accumulated knowledge with the old border. Yeah, and they'll be like. Three dollars, and I'll be like, "Oh, cool! Yeah, I got a bunch of them. I have a bunch of them. I can move these." Yep. So we keep saying we can move these. Yeah. Right. And someone pointed out we didn't tell you what to do with them last time. Well, so, you just swim in them, right? Yeah, Scrooge you just, McDuck. You, you <laughs> throw them on your bed. You roll around. Yeah. You put them in hard sleeves first. So you don't damage right. them as Obviously. you roll around. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. It's a close optional thing, but you... Not you, when I do it, it's not. <laughs> the There's no around, option, yeah. You roll around. <laughs> Your wife comes home, what are you doing? <laughs> Shh. <laughs> um, so, so I have uh, done a lot with, uh, well, Puka Trade, rest in peace. Yeah, I did a lot with Puka, a lot, a lot with Puka. I think when, uh, so... Puka Trade and then uh, its spiritual successor, Card Sphere, yep. are basically their sites that allow players to trade with each other. And on Puka, you uh, generated a currency that was a Puka point yep. that wasn't really tied to anything, right. which led to like inflation and weird prices. Yeah. And it, I mean, it started off as a Puka point was like a dollar, right? Uh, or a, a penny. penny. A penny. And, yeah. like, you could buy Puka Points, and it kind of screwed up their economy. Yeah. Um, and now Card Sphere is the same thing, but it's actually money. Yeah, you can cash out. And you can cash out. So there's actually a, an actual kind of, like, yeah. payment system in, in place. I, uh, I haven't done too much in Card Sphere, mainly because, like, when I sit down and decide I'm ready to move some stuff, mm-hmm. um, I'll try Card Sphere first and put my list in there. But... I tend to not get a lot of hits. Card Sphere, I think people might... So, the let's finish the, the oh, yeah, explanation. Sorry. Sorry. No, 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 no. But you have... So, what it is, is you put up a list... People put up a list of cards that they want. Yeah. You put in the cards that you have, and you, and you, instead of someone pulling cards from you, you push cards to people. Right. So, you have a Niv-Mizzet, and four people say they want a Niv-Mizzet, mm-hmm. you get to pick the person you're going to send your Niv-Mizzet to. Right. So you just have cards up there, and if they're up there and you want them, and you have the money for them, someone can send it to you. Mm-hmm. 
I, I have a fifth amulet of vigor because <laughs> I forgot to take down that I wanted my my last amulet of vigor. Um, I should make sure I have no more amulet of vigors up. Yeah. Um, but so it's different than like it's not that you put your cards up and then people pull them from you. Right. You send them out to people. Yeah. Uh, and the site acts as kind of the arbiter, and you say, "Hey, I sent this." And the person, when they get it, they're like, yeah, this card's real, and I got it. And they complete the transaction, and they handle dispute resolution. I've not had any disputes on... Mm-hmm. I had a couple with Puka. But... I had a couple with Puka, but none with... Puka's where I got my fake tropical island. Yeah. And I just got all my... I, I sent the card to them, and I think Cardsphere has a similar system where you send the card to them. Yeah. They looked at it, and were like, yeah, this is worthless paper. Yeah. And they sent me my money back. Like, basically, the your money goes into like escrow yeah, is held and so you can't spend it and then once you get the card that money is then released to the person who sent you the card. Yep. So the thing to know with card sphere is they let you pick how much you're willing to pay for the card. Mm. So if Niv Mizzet is three dollars, you can say I want to spend I will give someone 80% of the visits value. I'll spend $2.40 for this card. As the person sending the card, you can then pick, like, oh, this person's going to give me 80%. This person's going to give me 79%. Yeah. I'll clearly pick the person that's 80 because right. I get a little bit more. Um, I've done that a lot with Puka. I think I had done... Over three thousand dollars worth of Puka stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, card Sphere, um, Card Sphere. I've gotten four Chrome boxes, not Chrome boxes, four Mox opals, mm-hmm. and four Amulet of Vigors. That's uh, pretty good, though. So, like five hundred dollars worth of stuff, and yeah. I do it sparingly. Yeah, uh, I use Puka a lot when I got my. Uh, when I bought that collection, yeah. I pooked a bunch of stuff. Well, the nice thing about Puka was you can get rid of bulk. Like yeah. people were looking for random commons from M14. I have almost a complete playset of visions because yeah. Puka Puka died and basically no high value cards moved anymore. Yeah. It basically became you could only move commons and uncommons. And there were people, there was a, a shop in Columbia, mm-hmm. that when I decided Puka was dead, and I didn't buy any Dominaria because I was buying a house. Sucker. Um, <laughs> it's a nice house, though. Yeah, yeah. The studio is nice. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, I basically Puka'd a complete playset of the common and uncommons from Dominaria. So I have a complete playset of Dominaria. Yeah, even though you didn't play them. Even though I didn't, pl- even though I didn't buy any packs, because yeah. I was like, well, I want to have all these. Yeah. Um, and so that was a way to do that. But Card Sphere is pretty good. There's like two types of people on Card Sphere. There are like the sharky kind of store owner finance people that like want 75 cards, but are only willing to pay you 35% of their value. Uh, right. And then there are the people that are like, I need a Niv Mizzet to play. I'll give you 75% of his value. Yeah. And then you just are like, well, I'm not going to send Niv Mizzet for right. 35 cent or a dollar. I'll send it to this guy for 250. Yeah. Right. And then, so when you do Card Sphere or Puka, well, Card Sphere now, yeah. um, like if someone's giving 80 and 79, right, 
look at both mm -hmm. and see like, well, does this person who wants the card for a little bit less want four other cards? Four other me? cards. So whenever I like decide I'm going to trade with someone, you if you go click on their profile, you can see every card they want, and mm -hmm. you can sort it by like set. And a lot of people want random commons. Yeah. And like a stamp costs you thirty five cents. Mm -hmm. You can get six cards in two uh, top loaders in one envelope, and it's still like just a stamp. Yeah. Or I guess a stamp's fifty cents, thirty five cents. I'm <laughs> right. So if you can find a couple commons or uncommons that you can put in with your more expensive yeah. card, you can pay for your stamp. Right. Right. And if you do that enough, one, you get rid of draft chaff that's yeah. never going to amount to anything. It's like, this person has like a weird obsession with uh, Coral Commando. <laughs> I do not take all my Coral Commandos. I have 37 Coral Commandos. You, I now have... <laughs> 30, I now have four Coral Commandos, yeah. and you have a stack. Um, but, so I always do that. I always check to see if there are other cards that I know I have. Yeah, that, that just I may can, not be in your inventory. Because, like, I don't want to inventory all this crap. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, well, I clearly I must have some of these, and then I, I'll go get rid of those as well. Yeah. And it's a way to clear stuff out. Yeah. Uh, but, like, that's the best way I found. It's pretty low effort. Uh, well, like last night... This will lead yeah. into our next thing is a uh, buy listing. Yes. Um, last night, I knew that probably the time for Teferi is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. um, normally, like standard rotates in September. Yes. Normally, February-ish is when you want to move stuff that rotates in September to get max value out of it. Yeah, somewhere between like February and maybe like may like this is where you i start yeah. moving all my standard stuff yeah because after like after basically when war the, the the spring set comes out yeah everyone starts looking at their stuff that's going to rotate as like yeah. i it, it starts to lose value because it's not going to be around very long right people don't want to buy into it anymore which yeah. causes values to drop and people want to come off it because it's not going to be worth anything anymore which causes values to drop so Right around now is when I like to move my standard stuff. So I knew Teferi mm -hmm. was going to drop. So uh, I started looking at moving Teferi. I saw that Paradox Engine had spiked real hard. I'm sitting on a couple of them I'm never going to play. Yeah, I need to see if I have some. <laughs> and I went through a bunch of other stuff, too. I, I just went through card lists and saw what was like $5 or more that I'm probably not going to play mm -hmm. until rotation. And... When I do this, I, I, I do buy listing. Like, this is my ma main way that I move okay. things is buy list. Um, I'll figure out a list of cards I want to move, and then I'll bring up four windows on my screen, or four uh, tabs in mm -hmm. Internet Explorer or whatever you're using on the Internet. Um, I bring up one of our local-ish stores, uh, Cape Fear Games. Mm -hmm. They have a pretty good buy list. I bring up Star City. I bring up Channel Fireball, and I bring up Card Kingdom. Okay. And every single card, I plug into all four websites and see who's paying the most for it. Whoever pays the most, it goes in that card. I get all the way done through my buy list. I see what my carts look like. If I've only got, you know, $10 going to Star City, it's probably not worth it. I'll just, you know, eat the 80 cents that, you know, they were the highest on, mm -hmm. move it over to somewhere else. Usually I end up with two buy list orders that way. Um, it might cost you a couple bucks to ship like a 
padded envelope yeah. or whatever. But that's normally how I move my stuff. I do a combination. I usually, I don't want to go through the hassle of like packaging up like a bunch of bulk. So usually we find our way to a tournament in the summer. And yeah, that's usually a little late for standard stuff, though. Yeah, but usually, like, if we ideally, if we go in February or yeah. like, whatever, I try to take all of our, all my, all my like bulky standard stuff, yeah. the stuff that like they're going to give me a dime for or right. a quarter. And I just like go up to pour some hapless Star City employee. Yeah. Here you and go. just like, <laughs> hey, here's this long box. It's all trash. And. Uh, if you know it's all trash, they'll just be like, well, this box holds this many. This yeah. is this many dimes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, or they will have to go through it and yeah. like make a stack of dimes. And I do that. Like I use card sphere for the higher dollar stuff. Yeah, well, that was that's kind of where I was going with that story is when I had everything in my buy list orders, I also put I imported that into a spreadsheet and imported it into card sphere. Mm hmm. And literally the only thing off of that entire site that someone was willing to give more than 60% for was Teferi. Mm -hmm. Nothing else in that entire was a $430 order that was like 60 cards that I was going to send out. Nobody on Cardsphere wanted any of it except for the Teferis. I uh, recently, like two or three weeks ago, got rid of Teferi for like 75 or 80%. Vivian for like 70% and a Johnny for pretty close yeah. to it. Nobody uh, wanted a Johnny's. Nobody wanted Vivian's. Yeah. I think I got like $16 for the Vivian and like $30 for Teferi or 35 or something. Yeah. Uh, and just got rid of those. Cause I look at like, uh, so what is, I guess, what is the normal, this is part of important point here. What is the normal buy list rate that you get for cards? Um, like based on like their, that's a great question. Their TCG it changes. It does. Uh, is it? I was not even. Like, it's not even static per card per place. Like it changes based on like demand for a card in a location. That's why I kind of look at all yeah. of them because they're all geographically different. different. But I think like isn't the standard buy list price generally like fifty to sixty percent of like the value, um, and then and then a lot of places have like yeah. a. A, a store credit bonus yeah, where they'll give you 60%, but if you get it in store credit, they'll give you a 20% bonus. So you get your yeah. way closer to 70 or 80% yeah. of what kind of their baseline is. Yeah. And I know it changes like, you know, Star City might not have any Teferis, so right. they're willing to pay more yeah. than Channel Fireball, who might have a bunch. Well, the, um, the Paradox engines. Mm -hmm. uh, Star City was only given $14. Uh, Cape Fear, I don't think even wanted them. Um, Channel Fireball was given seventeen dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, Card Kingdom was given twenty six. Yeah. So you went to Card Kingdom. I went to Card Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's always like a it's a kind of a a combination. Yeah. Right. Like I try to. Like, I was using cards here. I have a complete playset of the Return to Ravnica block Shocklands. Mm -hmm. Any Shockland I open when I open my boxes, when they first were, they were like $8 a piece. Yeah. 
and I was getting six fifty to seven dollars for them on uh card sphere. So like you get so like cards I had extras of, yeah. you know, I'd get like fifty bucks. I'd like get half a box worth of right. value from these shocklands that I already had. Right. This is a unique situation that I was gonna reprint shocklands. Right. But that was a way that I could easily turn that into like that's how I got one of my uh, Mox Opals was yeah. just Turned random shocklands. So uh, that's that's good. And then like when people don't want stuff, buy listing yeah. works as well. Yeah, buy listing works. Um, it works better when you have when you're a little bit more flexible and have a yeah. little bit bigger collection. Yeah. Because um, you're not stuck saying, you know, I have these six cards that I need to move. Let me buy list them. It, it works a lot better when you have like a hundred cards you're looking to move. Yeah. Because it you can kind of fudge. Like if you're you're willing to take a dollar less on this card because you got seventeen of this card that you're making twenty cents more a piece on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So buy listing's kind of tricky. Yeah. I I typically use it like I said. I will go to an event and I'll just take all the bulk out of my trade binder. Yeah. And just go like here. here. <laughs> and I have done that and walked away. Down twenty bucks plus a tundra. Yeah. Like here's all my bulk in twenty dollars. I want that tundra. Okay. And I'm happy. Yep. You got They're a happy. Yeah, I got a tundra. Yep. And they got what I hope is worthless cardboard forever and ever. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> but their betting is not. And their betting is not. Okay. So and then there's trading, like just trading with actual humans. Yeah, I don't do too much of that. Um, there are people whose entire existence is this, though. Um, yeah. Actually, one of the vendors that we always check out when we go to events, Moose Loot. Started um, out trading. Yeah, they were backpack traders. They would go to events with binders in backpacks and plop down at a table and corral people over to trade with them. Because at, at large events like, uh, I guess now, Magic Fest, yep. the only people you're allowed to give money to for cards are the vendors because they right. actually pay to be there. Yep. So these guys couldn't afford or weren't able to get a booth. A booth. So they would just have tons of binders. I got my blood crypts at twenty dollars a piece yeah. from them. Yeah. I got kitchen finks from them. I forget what they always wear big moose hats. Yeah, so you can always find them. Yeah. Uh now they have moved up in the world to they actually have their own booth. Yep, and still have great deals. Yeah, and like yeah. I, so I always go look at them. But I remember when they were like that, two, three years ago, yeah. the guys guy. off to the side, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with like the little the 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 little battery packs for their phones because yeah. they were like doing Looking TCG pl- player yeah. to like make the deals work. Yeah, yep. But they always have good stuff. But like, so I always have. Uh, like a mix of stuff in my, in my trade binder, of of just things that are standard legal, mm-hmm. uh, that I will I will trade for people, or trade with people. But I don't. It's hard at our particular store because people kind of get their cards, yeah, and then after like the first week or two, there's not really like a trade market, right? Uh, because everyone has. Either the deck they're going to play yeah. or four of everything. Right. And it's like there's not a lot of movement. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I guess our store is kind of unique with the player base we have. Yeah. Uh, most like, of our players are a little bit older and 
yeah have a little bit more disposable income and just kind of buy what they need and then mm-hmm. it's theirs. Now, when you're trading with someone, don't be a scumbag. Yeah, that's right? a, that's like, one of the reasons that I don't trade. Yeah, like I've done trades and been like, "Are you sure? Like this is what these are worth?" Yeah, like. A lot of times newer people will come into the store and they want to trade and people have like this instinct to be like, this person doesn't know I'm going to like, yeah, you don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah. So be, be a reputable human being. Please. please. Yes. And then we can go onto the world wide web of, of marketplaces as our, as our last thing. Yeah. The, uh, there is one more way to move cards. Um, well, it's two ways that we've kind of lumped into one way yeah. because neither one of them are super efficient at getting you money for your cards and time. Time, mainly. Yeah. Um, and that's TCG Player and eBay. Yeah. Um, anybody can set up a TCG Player store and an eBay store. I uh, have a TCG uh, Player seller account. Yeah. I have sold, I think, four cards. Yeah. Because it just is... Like, if you're not on that first page, yeah. like, you're not going to right. move your cards. Yeah. Um, the prices are low uh, be- because it's a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You need your listing to be seen. The way your listing is seen is by having a low price on it to move the cards. Um, on top of that, you get hit for selling your selling your card. They take a cut, and when you receive payment... They take a cut. Yeah. So you're getting hit twice on top of having to do more work because you're piecemealing your cards out. Where if you go on Cardsphere or buy a list or whatever, you can send, you know, 10 cards a shot. Mm-hmm. If you're selling something on TCG or eBay, you're selling singular cards. You're selling single cards and it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. And like with with Cardsphere, right, you you are stuck with the prices that are available. Yeah. But you kind of get to pick who you want to sell your send right. your card to. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, you have no idea who's clicking on your your uh eBay store. eBay store, clicking yeah. on your your TCG player uh listing, right? And you know, I have not sent cards to people on Cardsphere when I've clicked on their like their thing and they're like i'm super particular about condition and blah 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 yeah. send me pictures this sounds like a headache no thing yeah you. and i'm like <laughs> i'm like i'll go to the person that's offering me one percent less and doesn't care and doesn't care yeah. i want to play with this card please send all right yeah. cool yeah. right like i think i'm reasonable at grading but i don't want someone who's gonna right. like jewelers loop it and be like oh like i once sent a card that someone was like on Phuket, this is not worthy of being in my collection this is awful Sent it back. I immediately sent it back out to someone else who was like, thank you very much. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, cool. I was like, sorry, I didn't realize this person was a douche. Yeah. Uh, he did not put that in his description. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So when you have your cards, you need to be on the ball. You don't want to get stuck with your standard stuff. Yeah. Pass rotation. Um, that's actually another problem with TCG and eBay is you can get hosed. If you you've got a listing up and a card spikes... Um, if you're not diligent checking your listings when a card spikes, um, you could end up sending play sets out for a quarter of what, of what they're, of what yeah. one card's worth yeah. now. Yeah. So like you list a bunch of cards and that price is static. 
where like you know on hookah like something spikes yeah then you go and you're like you go and you're like oh now let me send it right as opposed to it was up for its old price yeah oh no yeah right so there's just more control with card sphere so yeah there's more control uh, so I think that brings us to the end of uh, yeah, all the finance stuff. The finance. Um, I am going to give a little uh, okay. spoiler here. Um, we are working on something really cool having to do with magic finance, uh, probably coming in a month or two. So stay tuned. Yeah, we'll get you the details. Yeah. You, you can get, you might be able to get non-existent. Uh, Imaginary casual try hard swag. Yeah. All right. Yeah, or crisp high fives. Yeah. One of the two. We'll yeah. see, we'll see. We we're going to move on to arena data, but uh, due to my, uh, you know, my plague. Well, it's been an awkward couple of weeks. Uh, you were on vacation the week before. Yeah. And then you got came home, got yeah, sick. And, and it was, the arena data was for like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, I still, still dedicated to the game. Uh, I still got my four wins after going to Disney World or before, <laughs> but I did play some relaxed uh, omniscience drafts. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Turn one, get them. <laughs> uh, but like those, those wins still get me coins. That's uh, true. So I did do. Uh, so I wasn't really on the grind. Yeah. Um, but if you if you saw the tweet that had the wrong date, but if you saw the tweet, <laughs> that was the data. Uh, mono. Uh, Mono Red, Mono White, and Esper are still like the yeah. three big decks in in Mono in Mono in Best of One. Yep, um, I agree. And uh, and then if you looked at uh, we had we had enough numbers uh, in the Best of Three uh, list. I think we had thirty or so games that we felt comfortable kind of putting that yeah. uh, chart out. And like Mono Red goes away. Uh, and you get Esper and Nexus, and yeah. you get a lot more Sultai yeah. as actual decks. Um, so it's it was kind of what you what you expect. Yeah. Um, I have reluctantly backed away from uh, Mono Red. Yeah, uh, I felt like the Esper matchup, while not unwinnable, was close to unwinnable yeah it wasn't great for sure and people people listening to us i guess are playing the mono red matchup better yeah and because uh, it just wasn't like free anymore yeah and it was a lot of people are saying that that uh right now the best of one is just like do you win the die roll and that's something i might put in the uh maybe at some point work into the the sheet the spreadsheet it just to like track like hey were you on the pl- like you know, just a column like on the play win. Yeah. Like is that is that just a product of the format though? I think it's a like product when of it's the so format. Aggro driven. Right. And so what I think I've noticed is like the red matchup really came down to like luck of the draw in terms of did you hit your fourth land yeah. and stick who stuck their frenzy first yeah. and who's top five cards of their deck were better when they had the frenzy out. Yeah. And like you could play it perfect and then they top deck a frenzy and all your work has been undone. And you're like, wow, now I look stupid. Yeah. Right. Mono white. And this is still a problem with the deck I'm currently playing. Right. 
if they are on the play and they go like one drop, one drop, one drop, venerated Loxodon. Yeah, game's you over. never win that game. Yeah. Or one drop, one drop, one drop. There's three one drops. And like a Banalish Marshal. Yeah. Game might not be over if you have a lightning strike or a way to kill it, but you're getting smushed. Yeah. And then they almost always have like the next one or they play like an unbreakable formation. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I like you're just so far because like you're leaning on chain whirler. And yeah. as soon as the creature as soon as the creatures get out of chain whirler range, you're done. You're done. Because they've gone as wide as you. And they also can get taller than you. And you're like, oh, I can't ever right. win now. And then the Esper matchup was... If, I know people are saying Esper might not be a great best of three deck. But the fact that their counter spells and two of their removal spells have stapled gain two or three life on them. Yeah, makes it real Just good makes it really, really hard. Because like usually aggro decks, you like whittle your opponent down to three or six, and now they can't tap out yeah. because you might be holding two burn spells, and if they tap out, you kill them. Right. And it's like, oh, no, I whittled them down to six, and then they gained eight life, incidentally, and yeah. now they're at 14, and this game's over. Right. Like, I didn't play any turns this game. Yeah. Like, they oh. just undid every bit of your work. Yeah. So I've switched from mono red because my win rate was god awful where, uh, where are you at now i am plat one two wins from diamond okay uh my win rate with mono red in plat two was like 35 percent. i could not wow. win a game it was awful i would fall down to plat three win rate was like 60 percent or 55 percent. it was fine mm -hmm. i'd run like i'd lose uh, win in plat three, go back to plat two, like lose, lose, win, lose, fallout. Yeah. Win, lose, lose, win, lose, fallout. And it was just, I just couldn't get yeah. any traction. So I'm playing uh, Gruel Warriors. Yeah. yeah. Not Jun. I actually wouldn't have to cast my spells. Uh, <laughs> but, and I've, I've made a few little changes, I think, from the stock list. A lot of them are playing uh, Crawl Harpooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm playing Thorn Lieutenant yeah. because I wanted to turn off Moment of Craving and Cry the Carnarium. Oh, Mono Blue is not everywhere anymore. No, either. it's not. And I think I'm like six and one against yeah. Mono Blue with this list because, like, you just get to race them. Yeah. They're like, oh, cool. You played a 1 1 on turn one. I played a 1 1. That, then I played a 3 3 and made my 1 1 a 2 2. Yeah. I'm winning this race now. And it's like, oh, I played a 4 4. I'm still winning this race. Yeah, and it grew my 1-1. One, one. Yeah. And yeah. so you just race them and they can't keep up. And you have a couple of removal spells and yeah. like Collision Colossus is A+. plus. Yep. Just like, oh, kill your thing. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I guess tap out for Tempest Gin, kill it, get you for six. And they're like, oh, I guess I can't win. Yeah. Um, so I play that and I'm still trying to figure out my other three drop. I was playing... Uh, uh, Legion War Boss. Mm -hmm. I like War Boss. As a way to fight uh, Esper again. Like, you mm -hmm. stick it, you get, like, an extra body. Yep. Uh, but I also found that he doesn't do a whole lot against Mono Red and Mono White. Like, yeah. he's, like, the token's often outclassed. And then the 2-2 doesn't matter. So, like, right now I'm trying, like, Lava Coils. 
Okay. I actually, uh, I like War Boss against Mono Red. Because hmm. they, they spend a burn spell to kill him, and you still got a guy left over that can trade with a Pyromancer. Yeah. Uh, but like, I, 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 I was playing that because I didn't want to have Lava Coil against Esper because it's right. just a dead card. Yeah. But then, like, I felt like the Mono White matchup was really bad because mm -hmm. I, I, I was only playing four Lightning Strikes. So I was really... Four Lightning Strikes and two Collision Clauses. So I was, like... Really light on unconditional removal. Yeah. So that made like, you know, the turn where they tap all their creatures for uh, a Loxodon, like you have a Lava Coil, you can kill it and then get in for six or seven. Yeah. And now they might not be able to attack because they might you be kill the next bag. turn. Right. But when it's like a war, uh, a war boss, yeah. you're like, here's my one one and he gets eaten. And now you have this two two that doesn't matter. Uh, and so that was. That was it. Wasn't so much for mono red as much as it was for for mono white because I just couldn't win that. I was yeah. playing like a bigger version of like uh, red green mm -hmm. that played Llanowar elf and played like I only had three Skargan Hellkites. The, the originalist had four, but like so I was playing like elves in that. Yeah, I haven't played that version. I've played the lower of the ground version. Uh, so I switched to. Uh, I was like, I want Chain Whirlers back because yeah. at least if I'm on the play, yeah, I can. Beat mono white with chain whirler. Yep. And so I went. I went back. I went to that version, and I've my win rate in best of in in plat one right now was like fifty seven percent. Uh, which still means you got to play a whole yeah. lot of games to get anywhere. But it's like way. It's way better than it had been. Yeah. I've been on uh, Rectos Judith, mm -hmm. um, and loving it. Uh, I think I posted up in our group chat uh, Monday, maybe. Um, I try and get my games in before I go to work in the morning, mm -hmm. as opposed to after work. And I went like 6-0, crushed gold one, hit platinum in like one morning. And then I didn't get a chance to play yesterday or Tuesday, but I, when I fired up this morning, 6-0, crushed it. Like, wow. I haven't lost a game this week. Damn. Yeah. I, I, I've not found that deck. We need to play that deck. Um, but yeah, so I think that like the like Esper started playing Cry the Carnarium to be better against Mono Blue in like the, the best of three like yeah. Pro Tour metagame. That just like like took so many percentage points away from you when you were playing Mono Red when it killed everything. Right. Because, like, you'd be, like, you'd, like, get in for one, get in for two, you play, like, and then they just, like, four for one you, and be at, like, ten, and then, like, absorb a spell, and you're just, like, oh, I can't. Yeah, I can't win I anymore. can't win now. Uh, so, that was a problem. Yeah. But, like, that actually, Judith actually gets under them yeah, pretty well. It does. It gets under them real well. You can put a ton of pressure on you. The deck has... Eight one drops and a bunch of disruptive two drops. It plays uh, Freebooter and Burglar Rat. Okay. So you can like randomly take their hand apart without them expecting it while you're still pressuring them. Um, you stick a Judith and it makes everything in your deck a threat. Yeah. Um, and then you get a Priest out and like it doesn't even matter if they're like don't have any creatures from the sacrifice. The advantage you're getting by churning through your deck, you get uh, Burglar Rats, make them discard when they enter. You got. Uh, Dusk Legion Zealots that draw you cards when they enter. You mm. have Gutter Bones that you can recur. You get mana back when you sack it with the Priest. You get the draw card. 
when you have a Judith out, you get yeah. pings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just like an engine that they either like have to answer or they just die to. Yeah. So another thing like I've noticed, and oh, we're not super long. We can finish super long. We can finish up soon. Uh, that like the Esper lists are just seem random. Yeah, they like, are super random. Like someone plays like, you know, you're like Hollowed Fountain, uh, Drown Catacombs, you're like, okay. And you play against one person and they essence scatter you. Yeah. The next person you play against plays Cast Down. Yeah. The next person you play a 2 3 and their moment of craving rots in their hand and you're a genius. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, you get to like four mana and some people are casting Chemisters in sight and the other people are playing like uh, Basilica Belhaunt. Yeah. And you're like, what am I? Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. Like, what am really I doing? Know. It's like, it's like a Teferi deck with absorbs chemistry insights and then random yeah, black and white open. removal. Yeah. And you're just like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, you used to be able to tell the mid-range lists from the control list. Yeah. Because the mid-range lists had uh, Thief of Sanity and Belhaunt. Mm-hmm. I have seen both of those in hard, hard control, control lists. Where like, <laughs> yeah, no, I played, like, I went like Thief and I like, I had gone like Pelt Collector, Pelt Collector, make them both two twos, attack, and he traded his thief, and then like Kaskaya's Wrath, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> like, why did you play that card if yeah. you were just gonna throw like or like Bell Hunt into Kaya's Wrath? You and I'm like, cool. I guess you gained four life and maybe discard a card, yeah. but like this is so random. Yeah, yeah. So it's really hard. Like the the red decks are all the same. Like with the, the white decks are mostly the same. Yeah, the I guess the like the the difference in the red decks are are you on frenzy, are you on risk factor, yeah. are you on some combination of the two? Yeah. But those like there are like four spots that change. Yeah. Or five or something, right? The white decks are pretty much all the same. Yeah. Though I did get blown out by someone who for like three turns or in like three or four turns cast Make a stand, make a stand, unbreakable formation. Yeah, what am I supposed rough. to do? <laughs> I like attacked and I was like, they're like unbreakable formation. No, the, the, uh, make a stand. I was like, play that card. <laughs> and then like the next turn they attacked me and I blocked and they were like, make a stand. I'm like, how am I supposed to deal with this? So that is, but for the most part, they're all the same. Yeah. And, and then uh, the Esper decks, you're like, oh, this is Esper. And you have no, yeah. you have like this giant range of like 40 cards that could be coming at you. And yeah. you're like, I don't know. Like, and you play, you like, you play it like it's like the stock Esper <laughs> list. And then something awful happens. Yeah. You're like, well, I'm just going to lightning strike them because I need to spend this two mana this turn. Spend all your mana, cho- children. <laughs> and then they play like a Thief of Sand and you're like, I'm an idiot. Like, yeah. why did I spend this two mana? <laughs> Yeah, it's like you like pass the turn with you your turn two, you like you don't play it, you don't have a two drop, and you're like, all right, at the end of their turn, you're like, all right, I'm gonna lightning strike you, maybe like make you like maybe you'll have a stroke and negate it. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then you like you play a three drop and they're like thief, and you're like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. Yeah. <laughs> Out of their control list with Teferi. Yeah, you're like, oh god, why? Yeah. So that makes it really hard. I will say though that the gruel deck is that I've been playing has really helped my percentages against the kind of off meta randomness. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I think a lot of the off-mana randomness is there to beat mono red. I think so, too. And so, like, you know, I've played mono green a couple times where a turn to, uh, oh, what's his name? Steel Leaf. Steel Leaf. Yeah. Like, mono red, you just go to the concede button. Yeah. Right? With this, it's like, I'll play a 4-4. Four, four. We'll sure. trade, and we'll just Buy keep three playing drop the game. trades with it. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep playing this game. Yeah. And I've had two or three games where the game went on for, like, 20 turns, and we just built out these giant boards and, like, uh, a growth chamber guardian yeah. just let me draw more threats, and I had more 4-4s four than they had answers to 4-4s. Four yeah. And just, like, attack, uh, collision, some, uh, colossus something. Yep. Winning combat. Like, oh, cool. I could have never... This was a loss yeah. with mono red. Yep. So, like, it has felt nice to have a deck that doesn't just fold to... Yeah, I played Gruel for a little bit before I picked uh, the Judith deck up again. I feel like I have all those cards. Maybe I need to try those. That's pretty sweet. I'll send you a list. Cool. All right. So I think that's it, and we're under an hour and a half. We did nice. it. Nice. Congratulations. We did it. Yep. Uh, you made it to the end. This one's not getting super edited, so we're going to send it out raw and yep. mostly uncut other than me coughing. Yep. Uh, Sorry, guys. Uh, so if it doesn't sound as smooth, this is why. We're late in the week. But thanks for listening. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, if you want to give us uh, some feedback, maybe some suggestions for some cool things to do. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, there's only, uh, uh, only so much room in my head to pull ideas out of. Yeah. So, so uh, hit us up at uh, Casual Tripod on Twitter. Uh, Casual Tryhard MTG on Facebook. And Casual Tryhard MTG at gmail.com. And one more thing, uh, we have our, I guess, our sister podcast, or brother podcast, I don't know. Yeah, whatever, they're good friends of ours, so uh, we're going to... At the Very them. Good Comic Podcast yep. on uh, YouTube right now. Yep. I think they're three episodes deep. Uh, yeah, I believe so. So, well, guess, show's funny. guess numbers, yeah. right, because they're trying to a comic book thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they're on number, they'll be on number four this week, so uh, give, them a, give them a watch. Yep. Uh... Well, thanks for sitting with us. Hopefully you make some, we make you some money. Yep, and uh, we'll see you at FNM. Hey, guys. It's Brian again. After the podcast, I thought of a good thing to do with your extra rares. And so I wanted to give you that information and a little segment I want to call hashtag not sponsored. So James and I both get our haircut down at a barber shop in Market Common called Trust Thy Barber. It's owned and operated by um, Tom Prince, who's been a longtime player at our local store. This place is, is great. Tom is a licensed barber. Uh, the shop is a really cool place to hang out. There are video games to play. You can get a beer while you wait. Uh, it's got a really good vibe. And if you get Tom as your barber and you bring him any rare magic card, as long as it has a gold symbol on it and he can tell it's a rare, he will give you a really nice discount on your haircut. And the discount on your haircut is often worth well more than that bulk rare that was sitting in your binder. And like I said, Tom's a licensed barber. He does a really good job. Um, James and I both go there. It'd be really worth your uh, time to go down there. It'd be a great magic finance move because you're going to make way more on that bulk rare getting a sweet haircut and looking good than you will uh, trying to buy list it for a dime. So keep Trust Thy Barber in mind. You're going to want to schedule online. So just search for Trust Thy Barber because Tom is always really busy. And it just works out better for you and for him if you schedule in advance. But keep that in mind. That's a good way to turn your, uh, your bulk cards into a nice haircut.